The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I'm going to redo that opening and say, welcome, welcome, if you want to run with the Game Changers. You are in the right place because I have two panelists today. That's supposed to be the code for panel watchers. So what's the buzz on the street and around the world today? The buzz is, shall we play a game? If that doesn't sound familiar, I'll clue you in. It was spoken by Joshua in the 1983 film War Games. So what are we talking about here? This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We talk about business, not movies and games per se, but successful Fortune 500 companies are anticipating and sometimes inventing their future before their competitors do. Isn't that the name of the game, quote-unquote? Well, why are they doing it? Because they know that anticipating disruptions in their industries is predominantly a creative act. And how do they accomplish that creative act? They've got a secret weapon, and here comes the theme, competitive wargaming. That's right. They use wargaming exercises to generate defensive strategies that are solid and meaningful and effective and proven, and they also generate innovative offensive growth strategies that help them proactively foresee new services, products, business models, what's coming down the pike, and what do they need to do to make those things come down the pike. Listen, you may not be a big behemoth enterprise. You may be a small company, a startup, a midsize, what we call an SME, small to midsize enterprise, or you may have that gleam in your eye, I want to have my own company. Well, their methods can help you. So whatever your company size, maturity, industry footprint, you too can benefit from designing, running, and experienced a disruptive war gaming session. Hence my opening quote from War Games, shall we play a game? Ha! Now I've got two experts who are going to help us figure this all out. I'm delighted to have them. They were on the air with me on July 14th. I think that was uh, 14 juillet, probably a holiday in France. The series was Innovating Innovation with Game Changers Radio, and they were joined by an SAP person who's not available today. But we had a wonderful show, and I've invited them back because they are so smart. I'm going to be speaking in just a moment with Brian W. Matamore, co-founder and chief idea guy. I love that title. I want to be chief idea gal at the Growth Engine Company and also joined by Christopher Bishop, chief reinvention officer at Improvising Careers. Chris has only had seven careers, but that was as of July 14, 2016. He might surprise us and tell us he's on to his eighth. I'm, I'm never sure with Chris Bishop. So I'm delighted to have them back. They are smart. They are savvy. You're going to learn so much in the next hour, so please stick around. So first up, I'm going to welcome Brian Matamore. And Brian has sent me a quote from 
Erwin Rommel. Anybody remember Rommel? Full name, Johannes Erwin Eugene Rommel, 1891 to 1944, popularly known as the Desert Fox. He was a senior German Army officer during World War II. Uh, very sad ending for this guy. In 1944, he was implicated in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And because of his status as a national hero, Hitler wanted to do it quietly, so they forced him to commit a, a let's call it an assisted suicide, in return for assurance that Rommel's family would not be prosecuted after his death. So that was the official position. Ah, he had injuries. Somebody bombed his car. What can I say? So here's the quote that Brian Matamore has picked from Rommel. Mortal danger is an effective antidote for fixed ideas. Brian, welcome back to Game Changers. How have you been? I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. And I love that you, you went from ke- competitive wargaming in your description to disruptive wargaming. So that was a nice transition, and that's, that's really a, a metaphor or a symbolic of what we're going to do with the show, I think. I'm very, very glad. So, so tell, me, tell me about the quote first uh, in terms of competitive and then disruptive. What would Rommel have to say? Because he's talking about mortal danger. He sure knew what that was at the end, didn't he, Brian? So fixed ideas, how would, what would he say that his words mean in terms of competition among companies today around the world? Well, I think one of the hardest things and most surprising things is that when companies are doing well, or maybe it's not surprising, it's hard to get them to change. You know, if, if, you're, if you have record profits, record quarters, and, and maybe if you're the new CEO or an established CEO even, um, how do you get people to go to that next step? Why would they not just keep doing the same thing? And so this idea of mortal danger, mortal is kind of overstating it, I think. Maybe it's not life and death, but, but these are, you know, these are serious questions. Um, sure. You know, the, the, how do you get people to, uh, to realize that they actually could be in a survival game when you have record record profits and and the reason is because the world is changing so quickly and there's so many potential um, unanticipated disruptors that they may not know the company is in mortal danger uh, especially when they have record profits so that's why I thought this was a good quote to to kick us off very interesting. Yes, so they might not know it. That, that's an interesting concept. Who would be the one to break the news to them, Brian? Well, the competitor would be. <laughs> when they see their market share starting to decline, actually it starts with a little mouse in the corner usually, and they say, yeah, that, that company, that Warby Parker, they're doing some interesting stuff over there. You know, I'm not quite sure what that, you know, and, and, and they say, oh, yeah, they did a store, they did this, and, yeah. and then all of a sudden, you know, that company just takes off and all of a sudden they've lost 10 share points or 20 share points, or, you know, if, if you're, you're Marriott and Airbnb shows up, you, you just think, the, the, the part of it is it's the ego to think, well, they don't know what they're doing, they're an upstart, we've been in this business for 50 years, we can crush them <coughs> if we want to. We know. All, right. all that kind of thinking is, is what, what is part of, a big part of the problem, frankly. Okay, so that that goes back to our fixed ideas. Thank you very much, yeah. Brian. Very lively. I, I can tell we're going to have fun because I hear Chris giggling in the background. Chris, giggle away. So let me tell you what, quote, no comment. Chris Bishop, Chief Reinvention Officer at STAR, that's an asterisk, Improvising Careers, and he sent me a quote from Arthur C. Clarke. Now, anybody scratching their head saying, I don't know who that is? Well, let me tell you, Sir 
Arthur Charles Clark, CBE, uh, FRAS, lived from 1917 to 2008. I like to think that was just yesterday, 2008, my world it is. British science fiction writer, science writer and futurist, inventor, undersea explorer, and TV series host. He was most famous, known, famously known as the co-writer of the screenplay for the movie, I wish I could hum the tune, 2001 A Space Odyssey, widely considered to be one of the most influential films of all time. He was also given a lot, earned a lot of prizes. He popularized space travel, and he had this uncanny idea of what futurism was going to be, what the future was looking like. He wrote so many books and essays, he won so many prizes, and he was given the title or the moniker, if you will, of Prophet of the Space Age. Here's another one. <clears throat> Excuse me, that Chris may not know. For many years, Arthur Clarke, along with Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov, were known as the big three of science fiction. So enough with the background, and here's the quote. Any sufficiently advanced technology is equivalent to magic. I had to say it that way, Chris. Magic. How are you? Chris Bishop, I, welcome. Good. How are you? Delighted to be here. Delighted to have you. So tell me, you're a big fan, follower of of Arthur Clarke, and how many times did you see 2001, A Space yeah, Odyssey? I, I've seen it many times, and the music is also Spock Zarathustra by Richard Strauss, right? So uh, quite an amazing piece of music. But, I mean, the quote about uh, advanced technology being equivalent to magic, I think the way it ties to our conversation today is around the fact that technology uh, and other uh, the implications of advanced technology are, are impacting businesses and disrupting businesses and certainly have to be factored into, to Brian's point, conversations about the way uh, business models get disrupted uh, positively, uh, hopefully, um, and uh, evolve and morph in this global borderless workplace, if you will. I think it's sort of a time frame when stuff looks like magic to sort of the next generation, if you will. <laughs> I mean, I think of examples like what would Ben Franklin think of contact lenses? He invented the bifocals, <laughs> right? But That's that right. Would look he, like he, magic to him, right? He'd say we were making a spectacle of ourselves or yeah, not. Bada bing. I'm sorry, bada bing. <laughs> so <really>. sorry. <laughs> but, but that kind of thing. I mean, we're going to see um, technologies and um, adaptive processes and solutions that are going to literally look like magic. So one of the things I do is I speak to university students about what they should study, what they should focus on, and certainly what, what kind of jobs they're going to do, what kind of work they're going to do uh, for the companies that Brian is disrupting with his wargaming um, activities. And it's like they're going to be creating stuff that's going to look like magic to us sitting here in 2016. So exciting, I think. It's very exciting. The other, yeah. the other quote that I love from uh, from Clark was, it, "It's something like you 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 can't know what's possible without considering the impossible," and, yeah. and it gets to that magic con- consideration as well. Yeah. So. Thank you for that. And let, let me ask you a question, Chris. We talk about reinventing and being there and seeing what's happening. And my silly question to Brian a few minutes ago, how do you know? And he says, well, your competitors are stealing market share. Well, you are, I'll call you our official master of reinvention. Do you think it takes a mindset, before we get into wargaming, Chris Bishop, does it take a competitive mindset to compete with yourself for what's my best self? What can I do? What are the horizons I want to travel to? What are the barriers I want to knock down in my life? What do I want to learn? Does it take that kind of innovative, disruptive, self-disruptive mindset to yeah. lead a company forward, to be that innovator inside who says, okay, kids, we're going for the next level. We've been here long enough. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, I think it does. I mean, I think uh, you know, innovative business leaders have always had that perspective. I mean, certainly Steve Jobs. Um, I worked at IBM for 15 years, as, I, uh, as, as you know, and one of the uh, mantras there was we used to review high school websites. This is back in the late 90s, right? There was a competition that IBM sponsored. And the sort of mantra um, was in reviewing these incredible websites in the early days of, of the web, was like, well, yeah, the, and these kids don't know it's supposed to be hard. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of do it. And it's, I, I see the same um, worldview applying, say, to kids using social tools or mm-hmm. and ultimately to, to the, the companies that are starting in Silicon Valley, you know, where the VC money is going, like um, young entrepreneurs with incredible ideas, reinventing themselves, reinventing business models, disrupting business models. Um, creating stuff that, you know, jobs you would say, the customer doesn't know what he wants, we have to create it and then show it to him, and then he'll, he or she will realize that it's, uh, it's a necessity. Now, now, Chris and Brian, I have a quote. I was reading the New York Times, couldn't sleep this morning, and I was reading the Times on my iPad in bed around 4.30 or 5 this morning, bless me. And I came across an article about a an restaurateur entrepreneur named David Chang. And he is very young. He's in his 30s, <laughs> if only. And he is starting restaurants everywhere. Very interesting article. And I don't even know who it was from, but I took an excerpt of it, excerpt, and emailed it to myself. Didn't realize I was going to use it on the show today, but I think it's perfect in part of the interview about what makes him successful and you know he's starting a uh, I won't say food for it's a food delivery service that has venture capital the whole idea was that it's very hard to get solid venture capital into a restaurant or food service startup it's very unusual and what yeah. do the VCs control very interesting provocative article in the food section of the times if you have a chance but they quoted a woman named Kirsten Green whose forerunner ventures you may know her Brian is the largest investor in Ando, Ando's first round of venture financing in David Chang's new new enterprise. But here's what she said: Ms. Green, a forerunner venture, said she has faith in Mr. Chang, calling him the sort of formidable entrepreneur who has who has all of the traits for breakout success. And here's what she says: a record of accomplishments, paranoia expertise and grit so accomplishments paranoia expertise and grit and i i thought the quote was just gold so let me ask you brian does this a ring true for people who realize they need competitive work and disruptive war gaming what are your thoughts well yeah um paranoia we think is a bad thing but obviously in this case we framed it as, as a good thing and you know i, I might not go quite that far but but it's it's um, an understanding and an appreciation that the world is changing so rapidly and so therefore um, you need to be constantly constantly aware of what's going on picking up signals and and Chris and I'll probably talk about that word in a second we were we were actually together yesterday at a, a company called Sparks and Honey that that really spends their enti- their their mission is to find out what the future is going to be and maybe we can talk a little bit about that but yeah. but the idea is that um, you know the future is happening now and and so therefore if you're sensitive to it uh, maybe a better way to say it is an a continual openness 
to things that could uh, be opportunities for your business that could force you to to change your business, but be willing to look at those because it's so it, it's so much easier not to look at those. It's so much harder to to accept the pain, to accept that this upstart could uh, eat you eat your lunch, and mm-hmm. and that's just really hard to do, especially if you only have three years left in the organization and you're looking at retirement and you're the CEO and you say, well, I'll just coast this out. There you go. Chris Bishop, any thoughts on that? The the combination I mentioned of yeah, grit think, and expertise, paranoia. I think that's paranoia. exactly right. Uh, yeah. When you said paranoia, again, just not to harp on that theme, but there was recently an article um, about Intel, and they were describing sort of a, a brain trust gathering at the top of the business to recast their uh, famous paranoia. So I guess they're well. They're of course, known they, in the you know Andy being, Andy Grove's book was I believe only the paranoid survive. And, yeah, and yeah, there you go, exactly. So and so that's where that that comes from. The sort of recast the paranoia. I, I would assume to to uh, to openness and creativity and newness. Yeah. Well, and what's yeah? What's new? I mean, so focusing on mobile, focusing on maybe what's after mobile. You know, virtual reality, augmented reality. Where might their technology? and broader solutions be applied to disrupt business models and ultimately drive earnings per share and attributable revenue for, for Intel, you know. Thank you very much. And while you were tra- chatting, I found that Kirsten Green is indeed on Twitter, and she's got a handle, Kirsten A. Green, and Forerunner VC, so I'm going to put that into a tweet. And uh, I, we have a very important part of the show. It's time now. I want people to get to know you a little bit better because they heard you with me in July on our other series, Innovating Innovation. Now here you are on our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So speaking of coffee breaks, Mr. Mattimore, where are you calling from today? And what's in your cup right now? Or what do you planning to drink later that at the end of the day they'll say yes it was a good day <laughs> well i'm at my innovation agency growth engine here in norwalk connecticut and uh it's it's not my it's not in my cup it's in my bottle um i've got uh, uh by bai it's an antioxidant infusion drink oh, yeah. my, my, they they happen to be one of our clients so i thought i'd give them a plug last time you may remember i gave big oil a plug for their iced tea mm-hmm. which i also drink uh, but but this case it's um, it's Costa Rica Clementine which I which I love that's my favorite of all their flavors and if if you don't know the brand they they take coffee fruit extract which had formerly been you know just floated down the river and was waste um, when they would uh, harvest coffee beans but now they've recycled it and and got all the antioxidants out of it and made it taste good so it's a it's a unique and wonderful contribution to the planet at at a lot of levels here and it's only got a you know like 5 calories so so it's pretty good it's- it's magic. It's just yeah. magic. We said it's magic, magic in one like of the that. quotes. <laughs> Chris, Chris Bishop, our Chief Reinvention Officer, what are you drinking today? Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from my home office in the Wood Burbs of Wilton, Connecticut. About an hour, kind of, not too Wood far burbs. from Brian, actually kind of up in the northeast uh, suburbs, if you will. Um, and I'm drinking coffee, Juan Valdez Organic Gourmet. Mm. beans that I ground. But I think more interesting is I'm drinking it out of a cup that I bought at Shenandoah National Park this summer. A little sidebar plug for the 100th anniversary of the National Park System. Encouraging listeners to go enjoy our parks. But had a wonderful visit to Skyline Drive this summer with my family and uh, enjoying looking at the logo on the cup. And uh, yes, it's, it's a magical spot. If you haven't been magical there, I highly spot. recommend it. 
That's what we're looking for. And by the way, they still won't let me have caffeine on radio show days. I think I told you that in July. So <clears throat> I am relegated to a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water with a, from a Brita filter that needs to be changed. I admit that. It's time. Today's the day. And I have an orange straw in it because, gentlemen, the leaves are just starting to change here on Long Island. And I'm yeah. looking forward to magical colors right now. Everything is still very much green. A couple of oranges here and there. No real red except my hair. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go parade that around. But uh, seriously. Ed, it's very nice to have both of you here on Coffee Break with Game Trainers. I'm very honored because I know you're very busy and taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. We're talking today about disruptive wargaming, a critical tool for today's innovators, part two. Both Brian Matamore and Chris Bishop were on with me in July. Delighted to have you back. We have so much to talk about. We're going to get into, I hate the phrase, but I'll say it, the nitty-gritty of how do you do it? How do you help your company move forward? How do you embrace the idea of of disruptive thinking when you're really kind of comfortable and things are kind of going okay, but poof, right around the next corner could be that breakout star who's stealing your market share. We won't have that, will we? So don't even think about touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed. We just finished our coffee break, and I'm speaking today with Brian W. Matamore and Christopher Bishop. Chris Bishop, and we are speaking about disruptive war gaming, a critical tool for today's innovators. And now it's time for the lesson to begin. So... <laughs> Brian Matamore, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be great. We're going to have Brian introduce some concepts for, during the next couple of minutes, and then Chris Bishop will comment. So first of all, we're going to talk about creative techniques to encourage disruptive thinking among company leaders. Now, if you think about it, this is a loaded statement because encourage means maybe they're not doing it at all or not enough. Among company leaders means we're talking about management or the, the entrepreneurial level of whoever started and founded the company, where the energy, the vision, the passion are. So we're going to talk about Four, disruption anticipating techniques. Very important. And here they are. Questioning assumptions, number one. 20 questions. I think I'm going to love that one. Number two, the worst idea technique. Wow, count me in on that. And company takeover is the fourth. So, Brian Matamore, let's talk about questioning assumptions. What are we, what, are, what is this all about? 
Well, actually, and actually, I should preface this that there's sort of an overarching or mega technique in all this disruptive wargaming, and that's role playing. And the idea is that you role play the competitors, and and you role play disruptive competitors as well. So, if you're an insurance business, you would role play Allstate and State Farm, etc. But then you would also role play potentially Amazon, Google, and Walmart. What those uh, companies are thinking because they could be potential disruptors. So that's kind of the setup to some of these techniques. That's the mega technique that we use when we do, uh, say, a two-day disruptive wargaming session. But as you said, within that, there are you know f- a half dozen. We'll, I guess we're going to hit four now. Different techniques uh, to get people thinking differently throughout throughout the two days. Um, the first one, one of the most powerful of all, and this can be, and and you had mentioned up for Bonnie that this could be for large organizations, but in medium and small as well, even entrepreneurs, um, you don't have to use this just for disruptive wargaming. Questioning assumptions technique you can kind of use for anything. And that is, it's pretty simple. You just, you look at your industry, your category, the place you want to go, whatever it is, and you look and you question the assumptions within that. Um, You know, when my partner created uh, Mentadent for uh, Unilever, um, they questioned the assumption that toothpaste had to come in a tube. You know, that'd be a, a 75-year-old assumption, and it, and it took them four years to question that assumption. So it's, it's a very simple way to um, begin to reinvent your, your category or to get you thinking deeply about how your category could be reinvented if you question all the givens or assumptions. Um, one of the best examples, I think, is that if your Encyclopedia Britannica, what's your, what's your biggest assumption in, in terms of content creation? Your biggest assumption is probably that you need experts to do it, right? I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. a valid assumption. But, of course, Wikipedia uh, questioned that assumption and, and um, it disrupted the entire industry. There you go. So I want to get Chris Bishop to weigh in on this. Chris, thoughts about yeah. questioning assumptions? So I would just, uh, just to kind of reinforce and tease out you know, a topic that Brian had mentioned around non-traditional uh, competitors, which I think is key to, you know, as the card-carrying futurist here, right? Um, <laughs> I think you got to, as Brian mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, Amazon, companies that we don't even know about that are emerging, or that are evolving, or companies that exist there that are expanding and funding, say, business units or um, Google X with you know, their moonshot kinds of projects. Competitors are coming at companies from all different directions now, and I think as, as part of the work in this uh, competitive and disruptive wargaming uh, exercises, you know, companies need to be aware that it's not just standard competitors or competitors, even partners or um, companies that they interact with uh, in the traditional sense or in traditional roles, but, uh, but companies emerging uh, from different sectors, if you will, with new models that could mm-hmm. potentially disrupt the existing you know, process or business model. Indeed. Thank you. Yes, very, very important to know that and uh, and to think about those new business models. And we've seen so many of them not just disrupt, but completely turn inside out industries yeah. that we just thought would be here forever. We're talking the taxi industry, Uber. We're talking Airbnb, the room rental hotel space uh, company and so many, so many in our lifetime. And I know I think we're all over 30 on this call. Maybe I can venture forth uh, t- tentatively and say maybe we're all over 40, 45 on this call. Mm-hmm. 
like, is the elevator going up? Keep, keep so going. Keep going. 50. All right. Well, we'll admit to 50. That's as far as we're going to go on this, although I could go a little higher, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the only one up there. So uh, we've seen so much. My point is we have seen so much, the three of us. We we grew up with, yeah. with standard staples of si- certain types of industries, and we never dreamed that it was going to be different. We never dreamed. Chris Bishop, of course, along the way said, well, maybe I'll change my profession. Maybe I'll go from rock musician, world tour. Maybe I'll go into corporate. Maybe I'll go into innovation. Maybe I'll go into entrepreneurship. So we know Chris always was questioning assumptions, but I digress. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Brian Mattimore, 20 questions. How do we play? I want to know. Well, 20 questions is, is sort of a another version of questioning assumptions and it's in a way it's a, it's more fun the questioning assumptions is is very hard work it's it's mentally taxing obviously teams can do it you t- typically have them do 20 20 assumptions about a category but it, but a, a little more fun if your team wants to have a little more fun doing this and we will vary this in the two day disruptive wargaming thing we'll have some teams doing questioning assumptions other might be doing 20 questions it's very simple you just come up with 20 questions and often they can be wish or fantasy-oriented questions. This gets to to Chris's uh, quote from Arthur Clarke about magic. You can begin to wish questions around, uh, you know, impossible objectives. So how do we triple our sales in the next uh, year? Um, How do we uh, become, you know, featured on the front center column of the Wall Street Journal and on and on and on? So those Mm -hmm. 20 questions, um, what they do is they really... Uh, sort of reinvent and reframe and get people to rethink how they think about growth strategies. Because growth strategies typically, with the way they've conventionally been practiced, is you look at the rearview mirror, right? You figure out what all the competition has done. You look at the analytics, and that's all good work. And then you project that forward. But but we've moved. That's important. As, but that's that's just the ante now. That's that's the starting point. What you have to do then is to begin to reimagine all these different futures that Chris is alluding to and, and imagine how they could affect our business or how we might leverage them as opportunities. And so that's what this 20 questions does. It's, it's, it's fanciful, it's fun, and you, you, you typically start it with how do we, and then you get fantastical. So it's, it's really kind of a combination of what we call the 20 question technique and the wish technique. I like that. Chris Bishop, 20 questions. Yeah. What do you think? Agree, well, disagree? I think that's exactly right. I mean, I have colleagues who are, for example, talking to them in engagement with Diageo, talking about the implications for of autonomous vehicles on alcohol consumption in the next 10 years. Hmm. What did and you I, just I, say? Actually, what even, did you just say? <laughs> yeah, I and I was, I was, I gave a, a talk to 200 insurance brokers um, uh, last month, and uh, the the insur- and we and we had an expert there speaking on autonomous vehicles because there are huge questions there. If you're in the insurance yeah. business, oh, who's yeah. getting sued? Right? Yeah, well, is exactly. it the, is I mean, it's the programmer? You know, ethics, right? It's, like, it's uh, ethics. Yeah. Is it the programmer that's getting sued? Is it the car company that's getting sued? Is it the driver? Is it the pedestrian? And on and on and on. And these yeah. raise questions that we've never, ever before considered. That's right. And further, yeah. is it the puppy dog sitting in the backseat being taken to the vet because mommy and daddy are at work and the kids are at school? Is it the 12-year-old being driven by the autonomous car to a piano lesson? Who gets sued, actually? Who? Yeah. Or is well, it yeah. the family robot being taken in for a tune-up? But yeah. I digress. I like that well, one. The, well, does the car make the decision, like, to hit the kid on yes. the bicycle or drive to put the driver over the cliff? Yeah, and, and, and that goes from artificial intelligence to artificial 
morality, artificial yeah. ethics. Ooh, yeah. that's um, that's scary. And Mercedes issued a statement, I think, last week, saying that the driver is always the priority. So, oh, gang, uh, yeah, I heard that. Wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. Put your put your armor on. Now let's go to the next one. I love this one. Worst idea technique, Brian. What in the world is this? Yeah, this is this is. They're all different kinds of, te- you know, we have dozens of techniques we use, but this one is particularly fun, especially if you have, you know, sort of wizened, crusty, you know, <laughs> cynical people in the room, which, which you may actually have at times. Uh, they love this technique. You, you come up with not good ideas for growing the business, but the worst ideas you can think of. And, you know, one of my favorite examples, we were working with a large, uh, famous information services company. And so what's the worst possible idea that these guys could, could possibly do in their business. One of the worst ideas was instead of charging for information, give it away freely, right? Oh. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, people are shuddering when you even mention that because <laughs> that's where they make their money. And, and so, but we explored that idea. And the way you do the technique is you come up with 20 worst ideas and you push them to get worse and worse and worse and more terrible, more silly, more ridiculous. And then you take some of the really bad ones and you either do the opposite or you say as bad as it is, is there something I can take out of this and turn it into a good idea? So that particular example of giving information away, we came up with the idea to not give away at all, but give away pieces of information to give free listings um, and make freely available some of the data on smaller companies. And that had a virtuous cycle in that smaller companies signed up for the database. It was a free listing. They were encouraged to upgrade their listings, and it made the database that much more robust. And that became a multi-million dollar division for them. And that, and that came directly out of that sort of antithetical, worst idea, stupid, uh, silly technique. Um, and so it, it, this is one you kind of have to set up when you do it with the executives because you may have the CEO in the room, as we have many times, uh, and you have to kind of talk about why it works and the rationale for it and all the rest. But if you get people to play along, it can be very, very powerful. Very, very powerful indeed. Chris Bishop, yeah. thoughts on Worst Idea? Have you ever tried that? Uh, I haven't tried it, but I love the idea, and I think again the mm-hmm. you know tied to the disruptive uh, you know conversation, right? Like do something that you think is unlikely or seems unrealistic or magic, if you will. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but something that is not in your sort of portfolio or toolkit or whatever, um, and and turn it into something that uh, could drive the business model in a positive way. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and, I mean, and, so so let's take a hotel business. Let's start a hotel business with no hotel rooms. Right, and I'm exactly. Brian. I just <laughs> looked up the I just looked up the bio of Brian Chesky. You know who he is, right? Uh, uh, you're, you're talking about him. You're talking about him. Oh, yeah, Chesky, yeah, yeah, yeah. age 35, is a co-founder yes, okay. of Airbnb. Sorry. He was yes. he was an industrial designer. We somebody quoted him on a show, so I kind of cheated. I remembered him um, so last week. He's industrial designer and strategist at 3DID in in LA, and he moved to San Francisco, where he shared an apartment with a couple of guys. Well, in October 2007, which was what nine years ago this month, last month, the Industrial Designers Society of America were hosting a conference in San Francisco and all the hotel rooms were booked. Wachowski and his roomies couldn't afford their rent that month. So they decided to rent out their apartment for money. So they bought three air mattresses, A-I-R, and marketed the idea as airbed and breakfast. And three guests stayed the first night. Bada boom. Okay. And then they got a third guy, a Harvard grad and technical architect, Nathan, Nathan, I can't pronounce his last name, and the three of them started 
the impossible. So that's worst idea. Well, it turned out to be the best idea. By the way, Chesky is now, um, let's see, he's a multimillionaire. He was named one of Time's 100 Most Influential People of 2015, and he has joined Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. That's how high up on the monetary food chain he is in the Giving Pledge, a select group of billionaires who committed to give the majority of their wealth away. A 35-year-old kid, Chris Bishop, in our wildest dreams, did we ever think somebody who rented out his room to to get money for rent would end up being a billionaire within a few years? No, it's pretty, Honestly? pretty standing. I mean, again, this, this whole new model around certainly assets, right? So as Brian was saying, you know, here's a sort of hotel company with no hotel rooms. Uber started a car service with no cars. Um, <laughs> and we're going to see those kind of models, again, being disrupted and evolving. So, so, uh, so you might you know, say start a food company with no food. I, yeah, I don't know how you do really. that, but it's an interesting thought. Well, that's what David David Chang is starting a food delivery company. It's basically a restaurant with no chairs, no tables, and no waiters. Right. So, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's the idea, and those are gaining in popularity very, very, very big around, I guess, major cities. So uh, and one more out of this set, Brian, we want to talk about the company takeover. Did we mention that already? I think that's no, still on the list. No, we didn't mention it. That, that's Go a ahead. good one. It's... Um, you know, we and we we sometimes adapt the name because when we say this, sometimes people freak out and they think they're going to lose their jobs or something. So it might be, you know, the joint venture exercise or something. But um, the idea is that you mash together uh, different business models and and to come up with uh, new new ways of of doing business. So I remember we were working with the top hundred people at one of. Uh, the actually the oldest bank in America, and and this had the CEO and you know his hundred reports. They were it was an amazing thing. It was a two day thing with their their top hundred people, and and this quote company takeover exercise was the most successful. And the way it works is you simply say, okay, imagine that we've just been bought or we're doing a joint venture with McDonald's or Nordstrom or Apple mm-hmm. or Google. How would that change our business? How would that change? how we go to market, how would that change how we do, do banking? And it, it's interesting because this, this, you know, stupid, if you will, little exercise gives people the freedom to think much broader than they ever have. And they're, and they're kind of forced to. And they say, well, that's stupid, but okay, if we had to do this, how would McDonald's do banking? Or how would uh, Amazon do mm-hmm. banking? And all of a sudden you can't help but get business-disrupting ideas from that particular exercise. It's exciting and scary at the same time. Uh, Chris, I want you to weigh in on this, and then I have a question for Brian. So, Chris, thoughts about the company takeover? Well, no, it seems like, yeah, I mean, it's it's an exciting technique, I think, because you could, uh, while, you know, on the surface, say businesses like McDonald's and banking don't connect, but that said, are there ways to sort of tease out processes um, or specific kind of approaches, or go-to-market strategies, or even delivery or operations kinds of techniques that could be applied in this new, you know, in a new model about, say, banking. So I think one of the things we're going to see, too, is this connection of historically unconnected or unrelated disciplines, if you will. So mm-hmm. it could be fast food and banking. So what could we learn from that, right? So the way that, that ATMs were disruptive, now most banking more and more banking is done, say, on mobile devices. So do you have a, yes. you know, a version of that in your company that, where you can deliver whatever you know, process or solution you've provided 
to say traditionally in a, in a certain way, maybe real-time, in-person, carbon-based life forms in the same physical space, you know, thinking the way um, you deliver the banking services as fast food. I think it's connecting those kinds of unlikely sort of disciplines or even verticals. You know, yeah, I, mean, I mean, 40 years ago, we didn't have drive-through banking, right? But, that's you know, right. if, you'd, if you'd merged them back then, you would have... Um, We'd drive through everything. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we we, um, we need to find a new role for Snoopy. Snoopy just got retired from insurance. He isn't the really? the face wow. anymore. Yeah, they oh just my. retired him. But Brian, I have a question for you. Yes. important. Who should be in these sessions? Who should be at the table? I think we talked about this in July on the other series. But for for our listeners today, who needs to be in this session? Who can? question assumptions, who can create 20 questions, who can come up with the worst idea and not be ashamed of it, and who can mash up business models to create the concept of the company takeover. Who is this millennials? Is this seasoned executives? Is this only C-suite and their their best friends one level down? Who should be, should HR be in it? Who should be in the room? How big should the room be? How big should the table be when you're doing these sessions? Just give us a little logistics if you don't mind. Yeah, it's a great question. The answer is yes. I always try. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of do it based on what the objectives are. In the case of the bank, this was inventing new business models, new go-to-market strategies. And so we had to have the top executives in there, A, because we wanted their best thinking, but B, at the end of the day, they have to commit to what comes out of this. And so if they're not part of the creation, you're going to have a problem from an implementation standpoint. Um, if you're doing, and we've done this work not only for, for quote, companies, but for um, categories of products or brands. And in that case, certainly you'd want the CMO, uh, all the brand managers, but also you want, um, of course, you want the shopper marketing people, if we're talking about a package of companies, you want shopper marketing people, you want R&D people, you want salesmen, you want um, the research, you know, the, the, the manufacturing people. Um, and, and so... And, and the reason you want that, obviously, because that cross-functional um, sort of different point of view does two things. One, you get better ideas, for sure, because, because, and, you, and you tend to get more, if you will, practical ideas, because people are saying, yeah, maybe that would work, but I know this won't work over at Target or Walmart, so therefore we have to do this and that. So at the end of the two days, you tend to get more practical, more implementable ideas. And then again, you get to the, to the point of implementation. You want the best thinking from the team. You want people committed to what's being done. And so for all those reasons, uh, the, the simple answer is you want cross-functionalness uh, when you do this work. And, and certainly if you can get some uh, millennials in there, all the better because they will bring perspectives that you just can't get any other way. Now, I have another question on top of that, and then I'll have Chris come in and give his opinion on this. Brian, disruptive thinking, initials DT, design thinking, initials DT. Are the two to be confused? Do they intersect anywhere? Is there a Venn diagram with DT on one side and DT on the other? How do they differ? Because we talk about design thinking all the time. I'm doing a show in a couple of weeks on the series you're on, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, on what they call short cycle DT, short cycle design thinking for high-level managers who only have two days. Should we be t- and It was a part of a PhD study uh, partly conducted by SAP and a university in Europe. Uh, I'll be very interested in, in leading that discussion. But my question is, 
Is it the same thing? Is it different? Should different it, people be in the room? And what are the what is the point of each one? Are they the same? Uh, they are different. Um, design thinking, you should probably know, was originally to me. It's it's a smart, frankly, marketing and packaging idea. It design thinking sort of you know, popularized by IDEO um, and others, uh, is really about using the disciplines that you do to design something, which is, you know, trying different prototypes, failing fast, getting consumer reactions, going back and forth, all the things you would do in great design, and, and applying that to innovation processes. So failing quickly, getting all those insights. And, of course, you know, the best innovation agencies, and we'd like to think we're one of those, um, certainly uses some form of iterative process where you're going back and forth between ideating and coming up with uh, consumer input or customer into input to make the idea uh, to make the idea better to the point where you have a winner so within design thinking you're using all these quote creative techniques but the goal typically is for um, you know a new product or a new service uh, in disruptive wargaming, we're also using all these techniques, but the focus tends to be more on uh, business models and strategy than it is, say, new products. It, it, it limits a little bit how you think of design thinking, but, but traditionally it's, it's thought of, um, if you will, um, new products, not to say that it couldn't be used for new business models. Thank I, you the, for the clarifying. Yep. The net of it is you use ideation in both of these, or you know, innovative idea generation techniques, um, uh, but in design thinking, you probably want to talk to the consumer or customer a little bit more. Thank you. Chris Bishop, love to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. So, uh, actually, I have a, Brian, I have a question for you as the subject matter expert. Sort of back huh. to the, you know, Bonnie's question about what disciplines to engage, or is it the C-suite and their buddies only? Or wondering if you're seeing as companies sort of, kind of devolve as uh, too strident a qualifier, but as they kind of turn into more core functionality working with networks of resources, right? Yes. If you're seeing in these kinds of meetings or anticipate seeing sort of cutting a broader swath, meaning like bringing in partners, people in the supply chain, maybe even media, journalists, analysts. I mean, I wonder how that kind of interaction uh, might go down and what kind of value it might deliver if you if you see that coming yeah it thank you for that question because i really didn't talk about that and it and it can be a critical component we've done a tremendous number of quote pure ideation sessions where we've brought in these outside experts you frankly um we have brought in some supply chain personnel um, those people are under NDA with with a particular company um, for this disruptive wargaming work. But because it tends to be so confidential and it's at yeah. such a high level, sometimes you you tend not to bring in as as many outsiders as you might in a quote traditional ideation session, whether it's new products or, or whatever. But we've done a tremendous amount of outside um, folks coming in when we've done ideation sessions. I remember one time we did a session for. Godiva uh, to invent new chocolates, and by the way, they had probably a thousand dollars worth of their creations out in the hall. <laughs> and, and, and by the afternoon, we all went into sugar shock. But, you didn't invite me. I'm sorry, Bonnie. <laughs> Next time. Seriously, I thought we were friends, Brian. <laughs> oh my God. 
But what, what yeah. we, we timed that ideation session to be around the food show in New York, and so we had a half dozen uh, famous chefs who were attending the food show attend our ideation session. And, um, of course, they were extraordinary resources. Yeah. And we've had consumers, and we've had customers, and we had uh, journalists, we've had editors, uh, Maybelline, we had the editor from this magazine or that, Marie Claire, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you, the bigger point here is that if you can get these outside experts, and we have a bunch of experts we call on all the time to be part of these sessions because you absolutely, and trend people, et cetera, you mm-hmm. want these these other thoughts, points of view to uh, to inform your sessions. Absolutely. It's a great question, Chris. Yeah, well, just thinking certainly millennials and Gen Z, I mean, they're more comfortable with a level of transparency that, say, maybe boomers are not as comfortable with. They, they, uh, we Careful. did a session for a large credit card company, and the millennials, the, the guys, the guys, the established people were kind of in shock, frankly. Yeah, they did not. There were so well, many ideas that came out in the yeah. social media, digital space. They, they, it took them two days to recover, I think. <laughs> well, but, but let's talk about safety and culture also, because if you're yeah. talking to a generation or generations, and I am a boomer and I love change. I think you know that because I invented Game Changers Radio out of thin air five years ago, and here we are with a quarter of a million listeners in the first uh, two-thirds of the year. First, Ooh. yeah. So anyway, uh, my, my point is that maybe there is a culture shock. Brian, you said that it took them two days to recover. Maybe they never felt it was safe to come up with disruptive thinking. You know, Ernie, Tennessee, Ernie Ford, I think the two of you may be too young for that. I owe my soul to the company 16 times, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt, blah, blah, blah. I owe my soul to the company store. You didn't challenge. You didn't be a, you weren't a maverick. You didn't disrupt. You did what you were told. You did your job, brought home your paycheck, and blah, blah. But I want to bring up a point, a talking point, because we're almost at the predictions level here of the section of the show. Chris Bishop, in part one in July, you you provided a very provocative statement to me. You said 85% of the jobs that today's learners will be doing haven't been invented yet. They'll be using technology that doesn't exist to solve problems we don't yet know are problems. Very provocative. You want to stick with this statement? And can you elaborate a little bit, Chris, and then we'll have Brian respond? Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, again, as it ties to the theme about disruptive wargaming, I mean, Writ large, right, companies are being disrupted, transformed, evolving um, at a rate and pace we've never seen before. Um, implications for not alone companies, but networks and their employees um, are huge. You know, uh, the kinds of things that Google's going to be selling in five years, we can't even imagine. So that ties, again, to Brian's work uh putting together disruptive wargaming kinds of exercises to get these companies thinking about what's next and what the implications are for resource requirements, uh, you know, read human capital, right? What kind of people are they going to need to pull in to, to reinvent the, the, these companies and make them viable and still keep Wall Street happy? So I think it's, it's exciting. It's challenging, but it's an exciting time to be. It's very exciting time. Brian Mattimore, please respond to that. Interesting and provocative. 85% is a big part of the learning population, assuming that people still will want to learn and they won't have personal robots to do that for them. Brian, what do you think? 
Well, I have I have one of these. Well, actually, I actually have three of these millennials uh, that are that are still with me. My twenty six year year old, my my Smith graduate. It's her birthday today, and and she um, happy birthday. Yeah, she's Catherine. She's great. Uh, very bright. She's wonderful. Um, she's had five jobs so far, and and, and she hasn't been fired. She's moved on to these other jobs, <laughs> and uh, she's actually gone back to one of the original ones. But uh, you know, with a, with an online learning company, but but. But she's, you know, I think a pretty good example of someone who um, is restless, wants to make sure she's mm-hmm. contributing ideas and value on, on a daily basis. And so, uh, to Chris's point, um, you know, uh, 8, 10, 15 jobs may be low with these millennials. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Chris Bishop, you better start catching up. You've only had seven careers. I think I've had five or six, but I don't know if I'll – I think time's running out. I'm not going to be able to catch up to you. By the way, my mom is uh, 13 weeks and counting away from her 100th birthday. Oh, <laughs> And uh, we are, we're planning a big party, and we're going to do two live TV shows on our – we co-host a TV series called Senior Moments, The Happy Ones. It's going to be the very happy ones. But what I was thinking was she has seen so much. She has seen yeah. so many wars and so many disruptions and so many political cycles and so many people come and go. And it's amazing. I have to ask her what she would think about this. I think she is is a very disruptive persona, even though she probably wouldn't even dare to mention it. You know what? We're in our, speaking of disruption, we're in our predictions crystal ball part of the show right now. So Brian Matamore, yeah. let's see how much time I can give you. They're just the two of you, so I can give you a little more. Why don't you take a full two minutes and let's focus our attention if you like on the year 2020 we all you can still hear Barbara Wow was saying 2020 can you hear her I'm <laughs> trying can. to channel Barbara Wall 2020 never got that out of my head it's a it's the sickest thing anyway yeah. Brian Matamore let's look at 2020 which is just a little more than oh, what 3 18 17 18 19 more a little more than three years away and what do you see the future of what we've been discussing disruptive war gaming will disruptive war gaming produce another technique that you'll be conducting exercises in around the world, or, or will it just keep going? And what do you predict will change or not about disruptive wargaming? Let's go there. Well, I Two think minutes. one of the, quote, big changes is that this will become, uh, I don't want to say standard practice, but it'll be something that companies do more and more and more. I almost feel like they don't have a choice, frankly. As you probably know, this started with scenario planning, um, the art of the long view, and and uh, Shell Oil trying to determine where the price of oil was going, and, and has evolved into war gaming, and then now this 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 approach we've invented called disruptive war gaming. But my, my view is that you you kind of have to do it because you, you know as much as you may not want to, um, the world we will be disrupted without you. You know it's not going to wait for you to change. So. I think one prediction is that this will be accepted in a bigger way and that more and more companies will will be doing it. I also think an extension of that is that some of the larger companies will be looking to do more uh, joint ventures, joint thinking, uh, joint ideating, think tanking uh, with the smaller and medium-sized guys. And, and of course, P&G pioneered this uh, somewhat recently with you know, open to outsourcing and open innovation and all the rest. Um, Chris and I yesterday were at the Sparks and Honey, which is this company that, you know, uses trends. They monitor trends on a daily basis with their 50 employees in New York, and they, they share those with the world. And, and, it, and it just occurred to me that I think these sort of 
think tanks, if you will, um, or I- idea centers or idea entrepreneurs or whatever you want to call it, I think there are going to be all kinds of new models invented that um, really pioneer how the, especially the large, medium and large companies can get the best thinking to help grow their businesses. And that necessarily implies outsiders, smaller companies, these trend organizations. So I'm intrigued with new business models that will allow uh, medium and large size companies to efficiently um, get the best thinking from uh, not only from their internal employees, but from, quote, around the world and everything that's happening. Thank you, Brian. I have 60 seconds for Chris. I'm sorry I let Brian have yeah. a little too much time, but no. he's so interesting to listen to. Chris Bishop, 60 seconds. Give me your prediction. Yeah, and, well, just to follow on with, with what Brian's saying, again, as a card-carrying technologist, I think we're going to see really interesting um, technology solutions to drive the kind of disruptive wargaming uh, concepts that Brian's talking about. So certainly using augmented and virtual reality to bring together people who are geographically distributed, um, I'm a fan of implantables and ingestibles, uh, other, you know, robots, AI, uh, algorithms. All these kinds of tools are going to be used to expand and enhance uh, the disruptive wargaming concepts that Brian's talking about, as well as other approaches to business models. So Thank you exciting. very much. Yeah, I tweeted that a few minutes ago, so we got that out there. Brian Mattamore, Chris Bishop, such a pleasure. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and ask the two of you if you'd like to come back and continue this conversation with me in January 2017. Kick off the year with a disruptive bang, and we'll find a third person, someone at SAP, to join you on the panel. You willing to come back and play some more? I would yeah. love to. Please. I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> I agree. I agree. We have so much we didn't even cover, and I think we'll start the new year with some interesting concepts and give companies an opportunity to think about them. So you know what? It's time for us to say goodbye. Uh, Perry Como, what did he say? Keep those cards and letters coming? Yes, please. Uh, yeah. For our listeners, I just want our listeners to know we have got nine of our current series that have committed to renew for 2017, and I'm going to be debuting four brand-new Game Changers series starting in January, so you don't want to go anywhere. You want to find anything with Game Changers with the Coffee Cup logo on the business channel at World Talk Radio. We've got a lot more coming to help enlighten and inspire you in the new year. A lot more shows this year, too. So Brian Mattimore, The Growth Engine Company, Chris Bishop, Improvising Careers, thank you so much. And a shout-out to Michelle Sirier. Sorry for the loss in your family. You couldn't join us today. Michael and the Business Channel team, thank you. I'm heading to the Javits Center to see Jeff Spinard, the CEO of World Talk Radio, and Ryan Treasure, their VP of, of Tech Programming. Uh, they're treating me to a media pass to see ad tech, and then we're all going out to dinner tonight. So that's where I'm going. So here's Great. my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Brian. Be like Chris. Be like me. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 